When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey everyone, this is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are welcoming the one, the only Ms. Gail Simmons. Hi, hi, hi. How are you doing, David? What is going on today, Gail? How are you? Uh, I'm pretty good. You know, all things considered, if I block out the horrendous news of the world at any given moment, um, I'm doing pretty great. I'm actually back at home seeing my family for the first time in almost two years. So that feels pretty good. Wow. Well, I block out the news of the real world (laughs) almost every day. That is why I'm here behind the velvet rope. And listen, if you just block it out, man, and you live in that alternate universe, it's not such a great place to be. Top Chef Amateurs. How, how, what a season. Thank you very much. It's been really, really fun. I'm really proud of this show that we made, you know, Top Chef Amateurs premiered for the first time right off of the finale of Top Chef this year, right after our, our 18th season. And it really grew out of the pandemic and showcases how incredible home cooks can be and gives them a chance to run free in the Top Chef kitchen. And I think it's been really exhilarating, really fun for the fans and amazing for us as well. Totally different from what we usually do. And that is true because I've read that in multiple places. It truly is a byproduct of the pandemic that people were home more and everyone was learning to cook. And Yeah. And it really is amazing how much home cooks have accomplished in the past year. I mean, if nothing else, we all got better in the kitchen. And there's so many amazing Top Chef fans out there from every corner of the country. And some of the home cooks that we found to come on the show and cook with us and compete were just joyful and outrageously fun to be with. And they brought such a different energy to the Top Chef kitchen and it made it really worthwhile. How was the energy different and how was this experience different for you from Top Chef? Well, the energy was so completely different because these are home cooks who have never set foot in the kitchen, but they'd been watching the show for 15 years. So you can imagine these are mega fans and it's a bit of dream fulfillment. You know, every day I kind of felt like the fairy godmother welcoming them into the kitchen and letting them sort of reenact a day in the life of Top Chef and what that means to us and what we do in the kitchen and how we cook, the challenges, the obstacles, but also the joy and 
the enthusiasm that you feel, the energy you feel when you walk into that kitchen and you go to cook and turn on that oven. Um, and they just came with such positive energy. You know, there's these are not professional chefs the way that Top Chef usually is, right? There's not as much on the line. I mean, yes, they each each winner every episode gets five thousand dollars and bragging rights for sure, but this is not their livelihood. This is not that if they don't accomplish something here, they can't go back to a job sort of thing. This isn't their entire life's work on the line. So they could just have fun with it. And we bring in so many hilarious, amazing alumni to cook with them, support them, guide and mentor them. So it really just feels like a love fest. And it's not every day that we get to do that in the Top Chef Kitchen. Totally. Did did it make it easier for you to judge or harder? Did you find your judging style was different? Um, I definitely had to alter my judging style because I have different criteria. I'm not looking for the fine dining Michelin starred um, experience that we're looking for on Top Chef from chefs who've been cooking for 10, 20 years and who are at the top of their industry. We're looking for home cooks who just really make an effort to jump in head first to you know, go up against this challenge and do their best and be creative and fun. And obviously we need it to taste good, but I'm not critical. Like this is not about me dissecting a plate uh, like a food critic, the way that I would do it when I do it on Top Chef. It's about bolstering people's confidence in the kitchen. So I'm just proud that they were literally able to accomplish anything at all. When you get into that kitchen and you see how hard it is every day to cook in the Top Chef kitchen, it's ginormous. The kitchen is powerful. Um, you know, you have to run from side to side to find your ingredients. You're not familiar. There's cameras in your face. It's hot. There's fans blaring. Um, you know, there's a lot of challenges. And if you're not a professional, I mean, even when they are professionals and they get into the kitchen, they are usually like deers in headlights. So for an amateur, for a home cook who hadn't, by the way, left their house in nine or 10 months when we shot this at the point wow. in the pandemic that we shot this, to quarantine for a week, completely isolated from society so they could come to the show and be with us for a day. They walk into this kitchen and they're just blown away, but they brought so much, like, you know, not just positive energy, but, you know, questions and excitement. And, um, you know, they just couldn't believe they were there. And it made us all very grateful for the job that we get to do. That was oh sort my. of, for me, what, what made it really special too. It, it reinforced how much I love my job. That makes sense. You know, you're in quarantine at home and then for a week and then you walk in, you're like, wait a second, there's Gail, there's everyone, there's cameras. And this is the actual Top Chef kitchen. Yeah. That's amazing. It was also great to see some of our favorite Top Chefs throughout the years back on Top Chef Amateurs as sous chefs helping out. Do you have a favorite one or two from over the years of contestants? Oh, you can't really choose a favorite. I mean... There's so many that, you know, once they are no longer contestants, once the season's over, I've gotten to know so many of them. And, and this whole season, you know, Top Chef's season in Portland and then doing master, uh, doing amateurs, excuse me, we got to really get to know them well and spend time with them in a way that we hadn't before. I mean, in a way that no one had before because we were quarantining together. I mean, we're living in a bubble every day together. So they were the only people we could socialize with. Um, but the, the, with the, you know, 15, 20 alumni that they brought back over the course of the two and a half months that we were in Portland shooting both top chef and amateurs were just a really special group. And they were all there. Some of them were there the whole time. Some of them were there just part of the time they came, they came for a few episodes and then they left. Um, and like, it just, 
made me so proud, sort of as like, let's call them an aunt, like me being their aunt over these years, shepherding them through the Top Chef process and watching at arm's length at their success. And then being able to hang out and finally like break bread with them and judge with them and mentor with them. Like so many of them were just awesome. Joe Flam and Shirley Chung and Dale Talday and Richard Blaze, like, you know, Tiffany Derry and um, Jen Carroll, Melissa King, like, I mean, all of them, I was able to spend some real quality time with and like our relationship changed forever and for the better. That's they're amazing. just awesome humans and they're really, really effing talented. Well, I mentioned over the years, I mean, 2006, man, like, right. Is it, I was six years old for the record. We were all young, right? <laughs> I mean, does that feel like yesterday to you or does that feel like a true 18 seasons? Um, in ways it does feel like yesterday because I can't account for how quickly it's gone. Obviously, you know, you blink your eyes and your career has taken a sharp left turn and you never anticipated that to happen. I never sort of anticipated being on television. And then when we did our first season, which we shot in 2005 and aired in 2006, it was one of those things that, you know, you, you want to be cautiously optimistic, but you can't ever expect that you're going to get a second season, let alone a third, a fourth, an 18th, a 19th and the spinoffs. Um, so yeah, like it, it, in, on one hand, it went so quickly and we've accomplished so much in what feels like such a short time. On the other hand, if you take a moment, which we do do, especially during the last year and a half, when we've all had time to sort of reflect on our lives a little bit and say that not only we shot 18 seasons, five spinoffs, we've won Emmy awards. We've all, had children and moved houses and like, you know, the, the milestones of life that have occurred that we've been through together. Uh, Tom Padma and I, for sure, over 15 years of our lives, divorces, marriages, children, illness, heartache. I mean, we've, we've lived through it and come back year over year to be together to make this show. It's remarkable. I mean, you know, the joke is like so many shows have come and gone and somehow we're still standing. We're, we're mostly upright, you know, we're starting to age a little bit, but we're, we all might need glasses now, but otherwise we're pretty healthy. Thank God. I think you guys are standing strong upright. Well, that's what I was going to say. Like so many shows have come and gone. Like, what do you attribute this success to? Like, it's so hard to last this long in TV, reality TV. Like, what do you, what do you think the appeal of Top Chef is just in your opinion? Well, part of it, part of it's the formula and we just keep crossing our fingers that every year we're able to live up to, you know, the standard that we've set for ourselves, but the formula, because it's reality, it's not like we're creating plot lines, right? They create themselves. So there's endless infinite sort of ways that we can take the show. But I also think there's two things that really set it apart from other reality shows that haven't lasted as long, specifically in the culinary world. And that's that we are on location, right? We don't shoot in a studio. I mean, amateurs shoots in a studio, but Top Chef changes cities and changes our kitchen and changes locations every single season and often for the finale as well. So that sort of gives us a backdrop that makes every season so completely different. And it really becomes like this deep culinary dive into the geography and history and traditions and cultures of the place where we are, which allows every season to be so completely different in terms of the ingredients and the storylines and the guests and all those factors and literally the physical scenery in which we're set. So that's really cool. And because of it, we've been able to see this country and really explore the world 
through food. And that I think has made it an amazing experience for our viewers, right? Yeah. That's the first thing. And then the other to me is just the contestants, you know, the, the casting of the show, our casting crew, our team that finds these incredible chefs, both for amateurs. I mean, I was so blown away by the chefs, the amateur chefs who came and cooked with us, but also for top chef, of course, um, you know, we've really discovered some talent. I can't take credit for what they did once they've left the show. And ultimately they have been so successful. So many of them, they have literally changed the economy of the restaurant industry in America because there have been so many restaurants and television shows and cooking lines and books made by former top chef contestants over the years. And it's not just the winner. It's like really anyone on the show who takes that opportunity um, and has run with it. And I'm just like, so amazed when I watch the talent, what we put them through, first of all, because we put them through a lot, right? Like yes. it is so hard to get through their, our season. And every year they, you know, the first thing they all say to me is this is so much harder than it looks on TV. And it is. Um, and then once they leave us and they go out into the world and they take that experience and they build from it and they go on to shepherd and mentor their own, um, you know, team of, of people and, and be successful in their own right. And I think that is also what makes it such a successful show because our audience is so invested in the people, right? Like that's what really what it's about. It's not about us. It's not about our egos. It's not about yelling or criticizing or being, you know, a-holes. It's about these incredible people who rise to the challenges we set before them. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check out betterhelp.com slash velvet robe. Listen, life is full of stress. It doesn't matter who you are or where you are. Life is stressful. You may not be feeling down and out and depressed or like you're at a total loss, but if your stress level is high, like mine, your temper is shorter than usual, like mine, or even if you're starting to feel strained in any of your relationships, you could probably use the chance to unload. Unload the stress and get it out. Talk to someone who's completely unbiased and who's not going to judge you or take sides. If there's stuff you can't tell your friends or family, this is the place to do it. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. Unload the stressors and get some unbiased feedback. You'd be pretty surprised at what you might gain for it. Try it out. See if it's for you. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Behind the Velvet Rope listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash velvet rope. That's B. E T T E R H E L P dot com slash velvet rope. Betterhelp.com slash velvet rope. Yeah, and like you said, like the amount of jobs that are created in the economy, it really is. Yes. I mean, I never thought of it like cool. that, but it's true. Me neither. You know, the first couple seasons we didn't realize, and then we we started to see like the impact that the show had made on the industry and it you know, it adds up. It's cool. It adds up. Well, due to your not wanting to choose a favorite contestant, I know you're, I know you're not going to give me a name, but have you, which is okay. We're still friends, Gail. Have you ever said, you know, that person who won, like, I don't know, that wasn't my choice. Like that person wasn't really the one I would have wanted, or just, this is, I'm really not, this isn't my winner. 
The wait is over. That's right. Season five of The Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all-new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. Uh, no, because it is always my winner, because I'm the one making the decisions, right? I'm a quarter of the equation, and we never, ever choose a winner without all agreeing on the winner. That's not to say that we haven't had disagreements over the years, but we talk it out to the point where no matter how late we talk, and we have talked until the roosters started crowing in the mornings, um, we have always made sure that the four of us at that table are unanimous with our decision. Um, There are certainly times and people who, you know, there's arguments to be made uh, one way or the other. Sometimes they are less consistent, but they are more creative. Sometimes they are much more creative, but they didn't show the, um, you know, the, the imagination that other people did. Um, Sometimes, you know, we're judging purely by what was set in front of us that moment, that meal, right? We don't take into account how they did along the way. We can't possibly, or else it wouldn't be fair to start judging on these very like vague other attributes. And that also doesn't account for who they are when they leave the show, right? Um, And so there are definitely times, moments, people who I feel, oh, had I known all of these things, perhaps I would have thought of them differently, but then it wouldn't be the point of what the show is. Cause how do you judge morally? Like, you know, you need to judge on the food. You need to sh- judge on the experience that they gave you. That's the only common denominator that we can all um, mathematically kind of equate. So I- I've never ever regretted a decision uh, based on the food that I ate. And, and I think that's the only way that the show works. I know that sort of feels like you want me to be like, yes, I wish I had never voted for this person, but I have to be responsible for my actions. I'm a judge. There are only four of us. We make the decisions and we stick by them. That, or that else makes... it would just be like a super flawed system and we'd all get fired. I don't know. No, that, that makes sense to me. Well, you went to McGill University and you majored in anthropology and Spanish. So how does yes. one go from that to being a career food journalist prior to Top Chef. How did you start in this? Um, Well, funnily enough, people think that those are very disparate things, but really there's a a very clear line now, you know, in hindsight from how I got from point A to point B. Um, You know, anthropology, why I was drawn to studying anthropology was because I was fascinated by the cultures of the world, right? Anthropology is the study of culture, of humanity, of civilization, um, of evolution um, from from animal to civilized human through all of the thousands and thousands of years that we've been on this earth and how different cultures in, in different parts of the world have evolved to be who they are. And there is certainly a massive part of that that speaks to food as a window into people's cultures. And that was always what drew me in and always what fascinated me. Why do I eat with a fork and knife while someone in another part of the world eats with chopsticks or a spoon or with their hands? Why do I eat these foods while someone else eats that food? Why do I use these spices when someone else would never do that? Or why can I be of the same culture of someone 
you know, come from the same country, but different parts of the country or different religions. And we eat differently. We have different food traditions. And so um, I think that was sort of a natural progression. I always loved cooking. My mom was a cook and a cooking teacher. And when I graduated college, I loved writing. And I realized that I wanted to write about food. And my anthropology background gave me that curiosity, that insight, and that un- kind of understanding of cultural identity and the importance of cultural identity in food and how that plays into the way people cook. So that was the first piece. And then Spanish language, you know, I lived in Spain for a year. I studied Spanish for many, many years at school. And only when I went to culinary school, I moved to New York. I went to culinary school because I wanted to write about food, but my culinary school convinced me to go into kitchens and cook first before I went to write about it so that I had like a, an experience of my own and that I was competent and fluent, let's say, in the language of food and the language of the kitchen. And it is through that experience that I think I was able to get the credibility that I now have in order to, to speak about it with authority. And at the time, what gave me that authenticity, that authority and that understanding was my knowledge of Spanish, because we all know that this country and certainly the kitchens um, are run in many ways uh, with a, a Latin, uh, you know, a Latinx and a, and a Latin base, you know, where would we be without the people really doing the work? And right. so the fact that I spoke Spanish and I could speak with the people, my, the people who were teaching me, the people that I was observing, the people I was learning from, and I could really communicate on multiple levels. I think I also spoke French because uh, I'm from Canada and I, I grew up learning French as well. So the fact that I had this knowledge of French and Spanish and I worked in a lot of European kitchens in New York just gave me insight and it gave me a leg up and it, it allowed me to like earn the trust of the people around me. And that's like so invaluable to my understanding of food, right? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Do you have like one pet peeve when it comes to food? Like just <laughs> many, many or pet peeves. David. What are so what are your pet peeves <laughs> when it comes to food? Like what bothers you, Gail? What keeps you up at night? Um picky eaters, food phobia keeps me up at night, people. And and I and it is a, a deeper, it's deeper than it is simple. Like it's not simple. But you know, people's fear of food, fear of eating, fear of trying new things. Um, people you know, we say, you know, you say to children and we say in our house, you, know, you can't yuck someone else's yum. And it really has become something I value um, that because it's different doesn't mean it's bad or weird or scary. And I'm always amazed by how many people are so scared of food. Food evokes a lot of emotion in people in all ways. It brings joy. It brings fear. It brings up lots of different feelings about self-image and body image. It's such a complex topic and it saddens me and frustrates me that for me, food is joy and for so many others, it's not. And I know it's not a simple discussion, right? It's a very complicated conversation, but my wish is for the world to, to use food as a vehicle for joy, for exploration, for discovery, for unity, right? For tolerance and understanding between cultures. So, um, you know, that's a, a big pet peeve. In the little world, you know, my more minutia of cooking and food, you know, um, people taking shortcuts, rushing impatiently in their cooking when they, you know, when I know that 
it's just about practice and, 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 and having patience, um, you know, under seasoning food or over seasoning food. Um, you know, there's certain things that I dislike, like foods that I would rather not eat things like that. But overall, I'm actually probably less picky, less snooty about food than people think. Cause ultimately like I love everything. There's nothing I wouldn't eat. And if there was, I wouldn't be able to do my job, you know, at least to try once doesn't mean I have to love it all, but I love exploring it no matter what it is. I have been to all seven continents, 55 countries. And I too have, I mean, I'm also single, but so as I go on dates, picky eaters is picky eaters is, yeah. is it's, I get it. It's not okay with me either. It's like, it's hard. Just and like, there's it. Like, yeah, that's right. What's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that can happen? Yeah. I mean, unless you are violently allergic to something and that I understand like allergies and, and legit, legit, you know, uh, aversion, like, a, and I have irrational things about food too. We all do. We all come to the table, so to speak with our own baggage, but you know, I just want people to to love and get joy out of food because it's one of the great pleasures of life. Yeah. And there's so much out there. What do you have a favorite country you've been to where like, you just love the food in that country? Oh, I mean, I think I've traveled a lot, but I mean, you have traveled even more than me for sure. I mean, every country I go to, my husband jokes that I want to move to, you know, because every country has is amazing and has its own special food culture. But, you know, my top tops, I don't know, Tokyo, Japan is certainly up there. I'm just forever in total awe of the food cultures of Japan and how deep and rich and and specific it is. Um, and I love the rituals and the attention to detail. Um, you know, obviously I, I love Italy and France and Spain, but, I, you know, the Middle East has some of the, my, my favorite food in the world. Um, there's also, you know, my family grew up, my father is from South Africa. So I grew up spending a lot of time in sub-Saharan Africa and I have so many food, food memories from that part of the world that I'll forever link to like my happiest moments in life. So, you know, food's very connected to memory. So, I mean, I, I know every country I, I want to spend my life in Mexico, eating street food in Mexico, like everything. There's so much good food out there. It's hard there's, to go to a country and not eat well these days. There's too many options out there. Yeah. Do you think like just throughout the years as a judge, like when you welcome all these Top Chef contestants and now like on Top Chef amateurs, like is there, especially on Top Chef, but is there one common mistake that you see that like people make each year when they come into the kitchen? Yeah. I, I mean, a couple, that's a good question. There's a couple things that I see patterns of one is for sure. Um, coming in with an ego because it will be humbled pretty quickly. And I think it's look, there's nothing harder than standing and listening to someone criticize you. It is so deeply personal and it's really hard not to be defensive. And I can't say that I wouldn't be if I were on the other side of the table, but coming in with your defenses up, you'll kind of never win, not just from the judge's point of view, but really from the other contestants. Because if you come into the show open to learning from other people and picking up what's around you and taking that criticism as constructive and folding it into your knowledge and using it every week um, from what you hear from us, from what you see from other people, like there's so much to learn. Yes, you may be the best chef there, but there's never a day when there isn't something someone could learn. 
you know, what I love about the show is that I learn from them every single day and I'm supposed to be the expert, right? And Tom would say the same. He's been cooking for 30, 40 years of his life. And he still every day walks into that kitchen and learns a new combination, a new ingredient, a new way to present food. And that's why we love being on the show so much. So like being open to that, having your defenses down, I think the most successful chefs, and I don't mean just as a winner, but I mean in the full experience, are those who are able to let their guard down a little and and let that experience in and learn from it and take it with them for sure. So that's, that's one thing. That's one mistake people make. The other is um, not learning to work together because ultimately we require it and a real kitchen requires it. So, you know, bringing that energy is important. That makes sense to me. I talk to so many people on this show that when I run into someone or have them back on the show and they remember my name, I'm always blown away. It's the little details. And when it comes to sheets, the only place I turn is bowl and branch. Why? Because they pay attention to the little details. Bowl and Branch was formed by a husband and wife team that set out to give sleepers more choices for high quality sheets at a fair price. And boy, did they ever accomplish that. What I love is the variety of colors. I chose the pewter mainly because it goes best with my apartment. The sheets are so elegant. They look and feel so sophisticated. Sophisticated, but the price is so reasonable. That's why I chose them. They're 100% organic cotton. They are made toxin free. And what I love is they get softer with every wash. Sheets that look high end, sophisticated and elegant, but are affordable, sign me up. And that is why I did sign up. These are the only sheets I will now use. And you guys need to check this out. So listen, you can try them worry free for 30 nights with free shipping and returns. To experience the best sheets you've ever felt, choose Bowling Branch. And because you're listening to this podcast, you get an exclusive 15% off your first set of sheets with promo code VELVET at BowlingBranch.com. That's Bowling Branch, B-O-L-L and B-R-A-N-C-H.com, promo code VELVET. What about you've had so many guest judges over the years? Is there someone who would be like your ideal guest judge that has not been there yet? Oh my God, so many. Um, but but yes, uh, so who would I love? I mean, we'd love Michelle Obama to come on the show. She's been such a staunch supporter of eating well. Um, and that would be incredible. Um, I... I would love someone like Michael Pollan, who is, I think is, you know, a food writer who is a, a real niche sort of leader in the food industry, but has such a deep understanding of, of cultural history of ingredients. Um, that would be really cool. But there's also so many, I think, celebrities who are so connected to food. And I love that. And I think that is something that has been really fun for us to watch as the universe of food sort of like expands in popular culture. Um, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like the celebrities who we haven't had, cause we've had some pretty great ones. Um, you know, but it's interesting because so many actors and musicians, you forget that they spend so much time on the road that they're eating on the road constantly. And so they are always so interested in restaurants and eating out. And they've had these amazing travel experiences that I think lend themselves so well to what we do. Yeah. And they're also such great, like kind of um, ambassadors for the planet and for, 
you know, eating well and they, they are so impactful in their ability to like spread the, the gospel of good food. Um, so that's really cool. You know, I'll take Beyonce if she wants to be on the show, but that was a girl. That would be a really good <laughs> one. I think Beyonce is a little busy, but you know, maybe if yeah. you reach out to her, Gail, you never know. You never you know. Her, yeah. yeah. I'll just shoot her a text. What do you think of, speaking of celebrities, what do you think of the trend of celebrities, like with their own cooking shows, like Selena Gomez, like cooking with Paris. Now we have Paris Hilton. Like, what do you think of yeah. that trend? You know, I used to sort of be a hater in a way. Like I was like, who are these people that just, cause they like are a celebrity and they like know how to make spaghetti all of a sudden they think that they can have a cooking show, but really I'm not that way at all anymore. I think it's fantastic because at the end of the day, like what's my goal in my job? My goal is to expand the world of food, right? To get people excited about eating, excited about cooking, cooking more at home. And my God, Selena Gomez, if you can do it for us, like you are helping the cause. And she really is. And she clearly loves food and she doesn't claim to be a great cook, but she's like, I've got a lot of really great friends who cook and I want to try my hands at it. So let's do this. And she just has like enthusiasm and she gets in there and she gets her hands dirty and she shows us that you can do it too. And I think that's really, really cool. So I'm all for it. I haven't seen the Paris Hilton cooking show yet, but I know someone who worked on it and I'm very curious. Like I, good for her. Yeah. Come on back, Paris. Let's cook. I'm in. Well, when you have a moment, you turn on an episode of two or cooking with Paris. It is just, I mean, I'm also a gay man. So like, I'm not, so I'm sure I'm like the most biased person, but there's glitter and it is just, but you're the audience and that's great. Right. Like the fact that you're watching it and you're talking about it and we're talking about it. Like that's the goal is just to get people talking and thinking about the way they eat and thinking about food and talking about an ingredient they wouldn't usually use. And, oh my God, would you make that? Paris actually did that. I can't believe she did that. Let's do that. Let's try it or not, or let's go out, whatever. Let's eat. Like it's, it still furthers the conversation, even if it's in small ways and in ways that let's say aren't traditional, but you know what? These are not traditional times, David. We gotta, we gotta, as my son, my three-year-old son would say, we got to work with what we got. And I am happy to welcome them aboard the food train. We have to work with what we got, but Selena, it seems like you've seen her show and it's, it's good. Yeah, it's great. It's so good. fun. Like food is fun. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be so serious. It doesn't have to be so like fraught. And, and I just like that she's got gusto. You know what I mean? Like she's into it. I think that's awesome. And that's really what it's about. You don't have to be the best cook in the world. The only way you're going to cook is just by doing it. So just do it. Try it. What do you have to lose? You have nothing to lose. What is your favorite food? If you had to pick a favorite food. The champagne count? No. Uh, tequila? No. Um, I would say God, favorite food. I don't know. Like right now to me is the moment every year. Like this is the peak of summer and everything I'm eating. I just want to hoard uh, peaches and corn and berries and plums and watermelon um, and fresh herbs. Like you don't even need to cook. You just need to chop and you can't go wrong. Uh, that's, this is where I am the happiest for sure. Really? Um, yeah. What about, you mentioned you don't like certain foods, which we all have those foods. What foods yeah. do you like? You know, I'm not like a big veal eater. It's just always never really sat right with me and it's easy to avoid. Uh, it's in the category of unnecessary meat. Um, I've never been like I, I'm, I really despise root beer. It's just a personal aversion. I get a lot of slack for it, but it is what it is. And it's also like, it's just not necessary. There's plenty of other things out there to drink. It's there's something about the flavor of that, like sarsaparilla that 
just huh. it's like chalk on a blackboard. Um, I have a totally irrational aversion to black beans. I've talked about it a lot. Nothing against black beans. I love every other bean, but I had a very bad experience years ago eating black beans. I don't know if it was the black beans themselves, but I got very sick. And you know, when that happens, like you get sick and all you can think about is what was the last thing I ate after you were really sick. And you're like, I never want to look at that thing again in my life. Yeah. And it makes no sense. Like I hate cheese, but I like like pizza and like if it's melted cheese, but I yeah. like cheese and crackers. No, thanks. Not for you. And you know what? That's your thing. Like I get it. Everyone has, it's, it's irrational. I own it. I like, yeah, that's what it is. Like I also have a thing with some like very specific, uh, things like offal, like, uh, in nerds that I don't really need to eat. Like I never need to eat tripe, but like who, it's not something I need to deal with that often, you know? Right. Do you see any like food trends and was there a food trend you just were like, I'm over it. You know, like when kale was all the rage or was there a food trend you were just like, I'm not here for this food trend. I mean, kale is, um, it's good. Kale ultimately is a good thing. The fact that the world was eating kale, you can't really get mad at kale people were eating more greens, right? Whether or not it was overblown or not, it's still, I'm still eating kale. I have no problem. But I, but it was like amazing how whoever was the, had a PR for the kale board of America really deserves an extra bonus. Um, You know, the trends that I don't like are trends that are really not about the food. Not about how it tastes. Like I hate when they turn, like put made rainbow bagels or like, you know, those crazy, um, like they're just made for Instagram pictures of food, but really aren't about the food themselves or about the skill of food. They're just about like this craziness of how things look. I also kind of don't like how over the top food gets because of social media, you know, the like 17 patty burger with the cheese waterfall and then the like French fries stuffed in with a taco wrapped in a Dorito like I'm all for those things individually, but it kind of just seems gross. I don't know. I take it. You're not a fan of the food gods Instagram then. Yeah. You know, I, I, I can't, it's just, I can't look at it. It to me, it, it, it's too much. I, I I'm a simpler girl. I get I'm a it. bit of a Puritan. You know what I mean? You just want to eat the food. Yeah. What about just cause I live in New York city. What me do too. you, what, What's your favorite restaurant in New York City or just some of your favorite? I know it's hard. Like some it's of your favorite. It's so favorites. hard. I so I, I kind of cop out who asked me this question. You get this question a lot. And it's as you well know, New York City is the most enormous city in the world, like you know, food city, maybe in America. Uh, it is such a massive place with hundreds of thousands of restaurants. And they are especially these days changing every day. So many were lost in the last year and a half. There's so many new ones that I can't even keep up. So I always say, like, if you're going to pick, um, if you're going to ask me about my best restaurant in in New York, it's like, it's on, it's impossible. Also, because in my job, I barely get to eat at the same place twice. So I just need more specifics. You need to give me a neighborhood. You need to give me a cuisine. Give me like, where do you live? I live in, well, not, well, I've lived in the West Village forever. Now I live in Chelsea. Mm -hmm. So Chelsea is not such a great food destination. You know, it's interesting. Chelsea, uh, I lived in Chelsea for 10 years um, before I moved to Brooklyn, where I live now. Um, And Chelsea always, like West Chelsea has always been a bit of a weird conundrum of of food, but there's still some good stuff over there. you know, more and more, if you go up into like Hell's Kitchen, there's some stuff. Now there's the Hudson Yards area. Um, you know, 
and it's funny that because of the pandemic in the last year and a half, I haven't spent that much time there. But I know there's places like Cook Shop that I've always loved in Chelsea. I just went to Cook Shop for like the first time in like, you know, just for no reason. I live kind of right there. I just went there for the first time in like years. And I'm like, yeah, it's great. And I'm like, yeah, it's good. Solid. Um, You know, there's, there used to be up there. Like I know Sullivan Street Bakery had an outpost that had amazing pizza called Co. But I think now it's back to being Sullivan Street again. And it's amazing bread. And right beside it was a place, Chiquito, Spanish tapas. That's amazing. So, like, you know, there used to be the Red Cat right there for years that I loved. I know it's no longer there anymore. Um, but there, you know, there's hope. There's hope for Chelsea. I'm positive about it. What about in the West Village? Do you have? I mean, favorite? the West Village has tons. Yes, I love Fairfax and Pearl's Oyster Bar, and I love Via Carrada and Bavette. Um, I love Loring Place, one of my favorite restaurants in New York City, for sure. Um, There's just like tons. I actually have been. Oh, I just had an incredible meal at Don Angie right in the heart of the West Village, right on Greenwich Ave and um, had the best time. Yeah, tons, tons to eat over there. Those are all so good. For Top Chef, do you enjoy the, you know, secret food challenges where they don't know what food it is as much as we do at home. Like, yes. Do you just thoroughly yes. enjoy every minute of that? Yes. It's torture. It's like total masochism, but it's awesome. Yeah, of course it is. It's amazing to, because they're so talented, it's just awesome to see what they'll do, how their minds work when they're given so many constraints. Like the more constraints we put on them, the better they often do. And those blind taste tests or those, crazy mise-en-place challenges where they have two seconds in a quick fire to think of what to do often blindfolded or with one hand tied behind their back. Like it's absurd, but it's so much fun. I mean, it makes great television and it's always fun for us too, to be like, well, what would you do in those scenarios? I could never do as well as they do. It is literally torture. I'm like as, as adventurous an eater as I am, I think of myself in that situation and I just cringe. Like I just couldn't do it. I don't think. Yeah. It's scary. Well, that was what was so great about amateurs, Top Chef amateurs. We, we do, we take all these home cooks and put them in those exact situations that we've put the, she- the top chefs in over the years. So we do the mise en place race and we do the blind taste test and we do all these crazy, funny challenges where they have to, you know, butcher a whole fish and they have to dig in the mud for clams. And it's just so fun to see what a, an average Joe, like a home cook would do. And they often do better than you think. They do. Well, as one of the original Bravo Queens yourself, if Ah. one day your phone rang and Andy was going to invite you onto a Real Housewives franchise, which franchise would it be, Gail? Oh, my God. Oh, uh, any past or present? um, Yeah. Atlanta's pretty rad. I mean, it would be really fun to step back and step into the Atlanta Housewives. But I'd probably go a little more OG. Like, I'd probably do Beverly Hills. It's a good you know, one. we've done that the opposite way. We brought the Beverly Hills Housewives years ago. We brought them on a, a challenge or two. And I have to say they were a blast, like a blast. Kyle Richardson and um, Lisa Vanderpump came on the show on desserts with me when we shot Top Chef desserts, just desserts years ago. And I have to say, like, we had the best time with them. First of all, they were so game for anything. They love a party. They we ate really party. well. They also love to eat. Like they were super into it. Uh, and, and we just laughed. It was great. 
listen, I could see you in the Beverly Hills Housewives. Do you know what your tagline would be if you needed to come up with one? No. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, it could be like, we have a mantra in my house uh, with my kids, but I feel like it's our, it's our family motto. And I feel like it would apply and it's keep it chill, keep it classy. And I feel like that would be my tagline. Keep it chill, keep it classy. People. I I think, you know, a couple of the housewives could benefit from that. You know, do you have any, cause you were there back in the day with like Patty Stanger and Rachel Zoe. Oh my God. Yeah. Do you have like any Bravo Liberty friends in the real world that like, who are your close Bravo Liberty friends or do you Um, just kind of, I mean, Andy, so you know that Andy started as an executive producer, obviously he was the head of programming at Bravo and he was our original executive producer. So Andy is still someone I'm very close to and, you know, I care so much for, and we love seeing each other and spending time together and we have children almost the same age, which is really nice now. Um, But, you know, I would say I was, I'm always, I was always a fan of Kyle Richardson. I always, speaking of Paris Hilton, like I always loved seeing her at all the like Bravo events that we'd all been through, be thrown together at Jeff Lewis um, just blew my mind. And I like, think he's so smart and so wild and so great. Um, So he was an OG that I used to love seeing Patty Sanger. Wow. She, she was so much fun. I mean, she, when we would be at events together, she's exactly what you think she is, right? Mm-hmm. And she um, was always trying to like set everyone up and had a million things to say about everybody in the room, but she was always right on. And, you know, there was no, there was no tampering her personality. And I love that. I'm trying to think of who else from the originals. I mean, really, if you go back to like, the early Project Runway days and has continued as Christian Siriano uh, from oh, Project right. Runway. Uh, and he, he has really, first of all, I'm like so proud of how much he's evolved and his, his impact on the fashion industry and now being obviously the mentor on the show. Um, but I remember this right after he won the season and we would see each other and we actually were on a couple of flights together and at events together. And he's just always been true to himself, humble, talented, graceful, um, and I'm just such a, a fan and now I get to wear his clothes sometimes. And that's just a humongous moment for me. Like I am a fan as much as I feel really proud having seen it from the very beginning. As we kind of wrap up, how would you sum up this season of, if you could sum up in one word or a few words of Top Chef Amateurs, what comes to the top of your mind? I did watch it, but I'm just curious. What yeah, there's so much. I are. mean, I would say in a word, resilience um, and imagination. You know, I think that these contestants who are like in their real lives, accountants and graphic designers and ex-CIA agents and, um, you know, teachers and, and lunchroom workers and architects, like they just, they came into our kitchen and we're just along for the ride and they were so resilient no matter what we threw at them, but also in their lives. And I think this really gave them about a, a boost of confidence in a way they couldn't imagine. And it, and it reflected on us too. We, we, we basked in their glow and it made us all a little better too. So, um, and I was just amazed at what they could do. So I would say, yeah, they were like just resilience, enthusiasm, and imagination were the words that I think summed up our season. 
Uh, those are really good words. I think it was a great season. The finale Thank is you. tonight. Everyone needs to check it out. Is there anything else you want to leave us with? I'd like to give people a chance at the end. Anything I didn't bring up that you would like to discuss? I hope we see many more seasons of Top Chef. So Anderson. do I. I think that's just it. If people are interested, you know, that we're, we're there's, I hope we're going to be casting for the season and, and making it again. Because I just want to get back in the kitchen and watch what a new group of amateurs can do. Me too. Gail, this has been great. Maybe I'll Thank see you. you Thank around. you so much. I this hope was, so. Around Chelsea. Know, around Chelsea. We got to go to cook shop and all of that. But thank you so much. Everyone needs to watch the finale tonight. It was such a great season. And I really appreciate your time. Me too. Thanks, David. It's a pleasure talking to you. Anytime. Thank you so much. See you later. Be well. Bye. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review. Because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones. And the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're Behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon, because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.